0: night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal, but it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program, everyone. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thank you for being with us tonight as we kick off another week of great shows. Some really great stuff coming up this week. We'll kick off the week with uh, Lisa Morton. Lisa's an author and a screenwriter, and she's written several books on the history of ghosts and the history of haunts. Her most recent book is called Ghosts, A Haunted History. And we're going to talk about the history of ghosts and haunted locations and uh, some of the scariest and or haunted, most haunted places around the country. And that'll be tonight's conversation with Lisa Morton. Tomorrow, it's our annual holiday tradition we'll be talking with Jeff Belanger on tomorrow night's program. you know Jeff is a folklorist. he's also an author and uh, we always talk about Christmas legends and folklore or holiday not just Christmas holiday legends and folklore like Krampus and bellsnickel and all these other ones that I can't pronounce and uh, but it's fascinating nonetheless and that'll be tomorrow night's show Wednesday. Cindy McGill will be coming back to the show. Cindy is a master dream interpreter, and she will unlock what your dreams are telling you. So you'll have to be prepared to call in and tell Cindy what you're dreaming and what your dreams have been, especially if it's something that that bothers you. you. If maybe you feel like there is a meaning to one of those dreams, and maybe it's a recurring dream and you really want some answers. Well, Cindy is the person to talk to, and that'll be Wednesday night's program. Again, we'll be taking your phone calls to tell her what your dreams have been, and she'll tell you what they mean. And then Thursday night, Lon Strickler will be back with us. He's a Fortean researcher, and we'll talk about winged humanoids around Chicago, as well as alien disclosure. Now, I know there have been several sightings recently of winged humanoids. Now, every time I see that phrase or that, moniker i think of mothman as do a lot of people and there seems to be a connection so lon will talk about that on thursday night's program as we uh, get ready to head into christmas week i can't believe that and then and then you know my my producer orion came in here last week he was all sick and stuff i told him to put on a surgical mask he didn't do it well sure enough now i got the thing going here so, um, if I sound a little hoarse or raspy, that's why you can uh you can call and you can complain to Orion <laughs> it happens right um let's see oh one other thing uh you know, I talk about this all the time, but I really need you to do this, and it's you'll see why it's going to be so important very soon, but go to YouTube and subscribe to the youtube channel. It's very, very easy to do, and it's there's no fee or anything if you have a youtube account. Uh, then it's it's just a simple click of a button. Uh, go to YouTube, search for J.V. Johnson and subscribe to the channel. Now, the channel is called J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal. But if you just search for J.V. Johnson, it'll come up. Subscribe to it. We have, I don't know, it's like 450 back episodes of Beyond Reality Radio there. Plus, we stream live Every night, so not only do you get the audio, but you get the video, which is, you know, kind of boring at times. I'll be honest, um, but during the breaks, Orion entertains uh, you with some pretty interesting stuff, some nostalgia, and uh, we have a great chat room there as well. Go to YouTube, search for Jv Johnson. When you find it, subscribe. I appreciate you doing that for me. Thank you very much. Also, like us on Facebook. I think I've said all the things I need to say. We'll go to break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with Lisa Morton about the history of ghosts and haunts. That's tonight' prog- tonight's program on Beyond Reality Radio. Hey, gang, it's JV here. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Beyond Reality Radio. Some of you are new to the program, and some of you have been with us for years. And no matter if you're interested in ghosts, the UFO phenomenon, conspiracy discussions, or any of the other topics we explore on this program, we do it for you. Our goal here is to help find answers to some of the world's most enduring mysteries. And as we continue to bring you interviews and discussions each night, it's important that we get your feedback and even more importantly, your support. The media landscape is forever changing, and as it does, we need to be able to change with it. That's why it's important for you. Right now to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe once on YouTube. Just search for JV Johnson. You'll find it there. Subscribe. It's all free and it'll make you part of our global community. In addition, beyond reality radio is available as a podcast. Go to your favorite podcast platform and search for beyond reality radio and subscribe there as well. And finally, we have an archive program that you may enjoy as well. This show can be found on major podcast platforms and it's called beyond reality paranormal. By supporting us in one or all of those places, you can be sure we'll be able to continue to deliver quality shows to you no matter what form the media landscape takes. As a paranormal historian, I promise you the best and most entertaining conversations as we continue to hunt for the truth. Tonight we're talking with Lisa Morton. Lisa's an author and a screenwriter, and she looks at the history of ghosts from ancient Sumeria to today. That's what we're going to be talking about. And we'll also examine related entities such as poltergeists, wraiths, and revenants. Her website is lisamorton.com. Many books to her credit, including uh, Trick or Treat, A History of Halloween, Ghosts, A Haunted History, and several others. Lisa, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here.
1: Hey, great to be here, J.V.
0: You know, uh, ghosts, scary stories, Halloween, what's not to love, Right.
1: No kidding. I mean,
0: hey, it works for me. It works for me, too. And, you know, the funny thing is, uh, I don't know that we're a rare breed, but we're certainly a unique breed. There are people that don't like scary things or scary movies or ghost conversations or whatever it happens to be. And then there are those like us that are really passionate about it. How did you get your passion for it?
1: You know, I I always had it. Um, When I was a kid growing up, I was like that weird little girl who didn't want to be a princess at Halloween. I wanted to be a monster. And um, fortunately for me, my my parents were very indulgent of that and would even help me make my little monster costumes and so forth. So it was something I just always loved.
0: And it's one thing to love Halloween, especially as a kid. And many of us carry that into adulthood. But what about the ghost part of that? Uh, When did you start taking an interest in ghosts and ghost stories?
1: There again, I think I've always loved ghost stories, but it didn't turn into a sort of professional thing for me until just a few years ago. I was working with this uh, publisher, Reaction Books, and they were doing a line of books on um, like entities and creatures and monsters and so forth. And they said to me, "Hey, we'd love to have you do one of these books." And and I said, "Well, what subjects are you looking for?" And and they gave me a list of like four or five things, and ghost was on there. And I instantly said, "That's it. I, I've always loved ghost stories. I want to do the history of." Ghost Ghost. And um, so it was really interesting because I tried to make it a comprehensive history in terms of not just going all the way back, but also going all the way around the world.
0: Now, um, let's differentiate between ghosts and ghost stories. At least I see a bit of a differentiation. Maybe you don't or maybe you do. Do you define uh, ghost stories in any particular way?
1: Well, depends on whether you're talking real ghost stories, right, um, exactly. you know, stories that, of things that people have actually encountered, or usually ghost stories we do think of the fiction um, things. A uh, Christmas Carol is one of the most famous ones. Right. Um my personal favorite is probably The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um but I also kind of think of a ghost story as something um a classical famous um real story, um something like uh, some of my favorites the Cock Lane Ghost from Britain in the 18th century or the Drummer of Tedworth or the Bell Witch or, are all classic ghost stories that were supposed
0: to be real. And we're going to get into some of those as our conversation continues. When I hear ghost stories, when I hear that name or that that description, I think of sitting around a campfire and, you know, give me back my golden arm kind of story, you know, designed to give you a little bit of a fright before you go to bed. And I'm not sure what we call uh, the other kind. I mean, maybe there's not a name for it other than ghost stories where people actually relate stories of real paranormal encounters.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know that there are specific ways of breaking these down. I mean, campfire stories, almost, or even urban legends. Um, and then there are the, like I said, the, the fictional ghost stories and the real ghost stories. So maybe we need some new vocabulary. Maybe, here. yeah.
0: Maybe by the end of the night, we'll come up with something. Let's talk about your books uh, briefly here. Uh, you've got, I don't know, what five or six? How many books have you published?
1: Um, If you count all the fiction, it's quite a few, and I I truthfully have lost count a little bit, but I think I just completed my ninth nonfiction book, and that will be coming out next year, and it's A History of the Seance.
0: Ooh, okay. Um, That's... That's I'm really curious about that. We're going to have to have you back on when that book comes out, because um, you know, I'm sure you ended up talking about Lily Dale or maybe, you know, um, some of the spiritualist movement of the late 19th century. That's got to be a fascinating uh, topic to research and write about.
1: Oh, it was incredible. Yeah, Lily Dale certainly figures in there. Um, The whole story of Houdini and Conan Doyle is prominent in there. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, the spiritualist movement of the 19th century, which is really where the seance was born. Um, And you get these amazing, like, superstar mediums from the 19th century who were all incredibly fascinating, starting with the Fox sisters who really gave birth to the whole seance, um, in 1848. And, and just going from there, all of these incredible characters, it was really fun to research and write about.
0: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, and and I'm not sure if you have this information either, but the Fox sisters, uh, they were in upstate New York. Were they the founders of Lilydale or did they just, were they near Lilydale?
1: They were not the founders of Lilydale, but they were the first people to actually hold a seance, um, they were the two, they were teenagers when they started hearing these raps in their house, which was in Hydesville, New York. Okay. And um, they started calling people uh, in from the neighborhood, and, and people would actually start sitting around the table, and, and it was the birth of the seance. The
0: this, this seance uh, comes with such mixed emotions for a lot of people because there are a lot of. Uh, particularly at that time, and even today, a lot of charlatans that take advantage of people's grief and their distress. um, But there's some legitimate work being done there as well.
1: Yeah, and in fact, there were times when I almost thought the book should be subtitled A History of Fraud, because so many (laughs) of those, those mediums, especially in the 19th century, were were uh, debunked, and and, um, there were some that I think had something genuine going on, if nothing more than just a desire to actually help people connect with their loved ones. But a lot of them definitely were um, staging these incredibly phony things that were almost more like magic acts, They were utilizing a lot of trickery, and they would even communicate with each other and and find out how to to pull the wool over people's eyes. It was a really strange and interesting time.
0: The um, story about Houdini, uh, we've talked about Houdini several times on the program with different people, and I'm a Houdini fan and very curious about his life and his work. Um, But he set out uh, during the later part of his career— to debunk a lot of this, he was hoping he could contact his mother, who had predeceased him, obviously. Um, and uh, basically, with the exception of a couple of question marks in that quest, he basically called out everyone who um, said they could do it for him um, as a as a fraud.
1: Yeah, he did, and it was interesting. He the relationship be, between he and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is so fascinating because they kind of flip flopped. Um, Conan Doyle started as a skeptic and became a really fervent believer, and Houdini started as a believer and became the skeptic. And um, when they met, they had a really nice friendship for a while and then there was a uh, an incident that happened where conan doyle's wife had taken up mediumship and so one day they were actually vacationing the two families were vacationing together and uh, conan doyle and his wife called houdini up to their room on this afternoon and they proceeded to hold a seance And um, Conan Doyle's wife was practicing automatic writing, and the seance consisted of her claiming to channel Houdini's mother, and this was pretty much just about the worst thing you could have done with Houdini, um, because he did worship his mother so much. I mean, he called her my sainted mother, and um, she didn't speak English. So as soon as Conan Doyle's wife starts spewing out these pages of writing that are all in English, um, Houdini knew that... This was not the real deal, and he was so angry he kind of broke off the friendship at that point with Conan Doyle.
0: How much did the Civil War and the amount of death that and not just death but missing persons as well that touched every family in America because both sides of the of the conflict were Americans. Um, how much did that come into play to fuel this spiritualist movement, these seances and much of this what we're talking about?
1: Oh yeah, that's a great question, JV. Because it was huge. Um, the Civil War and World War One both um, really gave a tremendous boost to the whole seance and the spiritualist movement. And uh, certainly, a large part of it was not only were people devastated to lose a son or a brother or a husband in this conflict, but they quite often did not know for sure what had happened. Um, so they are seeking out these mediums and they're hoping to contact. Um, their loved one on the other side and find out for sure. Um, sometimes they are just seeking some form of comfort. Um, and that was, if anything, it was almost even bigger after World War One.
0: And one of the things that we often don't f- consider, I suppose, uh, after, war- after the Civil War, when so many families lost uh, sons, daughters, brothers, fathers, sisters, whatever it happened to be, um, you know, it's not like today where you go to your photo chest or whatever and you pull out a bunch of photos and kind of remember that person. Most families didn't have photos of those people. If they were lucky, they had one family portrait that some uh, photographer who had come through town had taken. Um, but even that is rare. So they didn't have much to, to remember somebody that they lost by, especially somebody that left for a war, you know, was gone four or five years and then just didn't come home.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. And um the the mediums uh, again, I this is a kind of an interesting thing where I think a lot of the mediums were probably genuine in thinking that they were giving these people some solace. Um, certainly there were some who were fraudulent and were yeah. out to take advantage of these poor people in whatever way they could. But I also think there were quite a few who genuinely thought they were bringing some comfort to these poor people.
0: Well, it's interesting. I have a good friend who lost his mother uh, a few years ago, and he went to a psychic that I didn't have a lot of faith in. And he was kind of afraid to tell me because he knew my opinion of this person. And uh, finally he told me he did it, and I said, my only question to you is, did you feel better when you were done? He said, yeah. And I said, then it was worth every penny you spent.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right.
0: So we've got about a minute here before we have to go to break. Um, The most recent book you've written, is is that the Trick or Treat uh, History of Halloween book?
1: Uh, actually, this year I brought out a collection of classic ghost stories. Um, that was uh, co-edited with my friend Leslie Klinger, and it's a collection of all of the some of the really classic fictitious ghost stories.
0: Uh, Tonight we're talking about ghosts and hauntings. Lisa Morton is our guest. She's written many books on the topic. Her website is lisamorton.com. Lisa, one of the things I like to do is get some opinion here. For anybody who studies, researches, writes about these topics, and, and, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to any of this, but uh, opinions are of value to me. What do you think a ghost is?
1: Hmm. Boy, that's... That's a a question I've put a lot of thought into. (laughs) Um, I am still not completely convinced that I think the spirits of the dead are returning. Um, I I believe, obviously, that there is something going on. Um, I don't know for sure what it is. I think it could be anything from... A neurological um, talent that some people are born with to sense certain things to um, some kind of strange electromagnetic radiation. Um, I don't even discount the idea that a building might be able to record certain things. I mean, it's it's so. Um, I am the true skeptic in terms of I'm waiting to be convinced of one theory.
0: So are you saying, then, that you are not yet convinced—and I think this is a common belief among a lot of people—you're not yet convinced that ghosts, as we tend to define them, exist?
1: I, something exists. Let's put it that way. Like okay. I said, I'm just not completely convinced yet that it is the spirits of the dead.
0: That's a healthy skepticism. Now let me ask the same question about haunting. What is haunting, uh, by your definition?
1: Well, again, there's boy. There is no question that these things happen. Um, I am not sure what is going on with those things. I'm I'm not entirely sure that anyone is. Um, I, I am interested in everything from the idea that it's a, a telepathic projection on the part of someone in the house to the like I said uh, the idea that that somehow a house or even um, some part of the earth is somehow replaying things that have happened there. Um, I'm open to all of these ideas, so um, it's always interesting to keep hearing these things. Um, I have been on a number of paranormal investigations, and I have yet to experience anything myself that I can't explain. And that's another one of the things that I am kind of waiting for.
0: So, in both of your answers, I heard reference to um, ideas that maybe. The ghosts, or whatever we're perceiving as being ghosts, for those of us who've had experiences, are actually coming from within. Maybe there's some type of telepathy or something else that's being generated by uh, you, a person or somebody with that person and uh, being projected in some fashion. Did I understand that right?
1: That's certainly a real possibility. And it's interesting that people like J.B. Ryan, who ran the Duke Parapsychology Laboratory for so many years— um, kind of thought that. He was far more interested in the idea of ESP and telepathy possibly being behind a lot of psychic phenomenon, and that kind of makes more sense to me in a way. Um, It's interesting that even in the 19th century, some of the spiritualist researchers, like the people who were involved with the the, um, Society for Psychical Research, were thinking along those lines too.
0: So, if I follow that line of thought a little further, does it mean that I could say, for example, um if I wanted badly enough, maybe even subconsciously to see my mother, who's deceased um I may project her and 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 have a uh, an encounter with her as a quote unquote ghost, but I've actually projected that thought
1: It's certainly a real possibility um yeah, I'm like i said for me i'm I'm kind of am likelier to believe that I think. Than the idea that these uh, things are returning from beyond the grave. Um, To me, there is less proof of that than there is of these other things.
0: So let's talk about ghost stories. However, you think of ghost stories, and I don't mean you personally; I mean everybody. You know, we have a lot of different definitions. I think, but um, at what point did ghost stories become something that you wanted to write about?
1: Um. Boy, I think pretty much always. I, I was um, kind of scribbling little things when I was a kid even and, and writing little poems usually or even little um, tiny short stories, and a, a few of them were ghost stories um, and a few of them were science fiction things or whatever, but I always loved to write the little ghost stories
0: and our ghost stories I mean you know you mentioned urban legends, you mentioned you know obviously there's there 's people that have had experiences and they share those stories. they would be called ghost stories. but um how much of the pool of ghost stories that are out there are more um, you know, related to folklore and maybe even local? I hate to use the word urban legend, but local legend, I guess, is a is a good way to put it because it seems to me that almost every community has its you know haunted house on the corner that you know at midnight you see a figure in the attic window kind of story. Every every community seems to have the same um, you know ABCs of some of these stories.
1: Oh, yeah, and that's one of the things that I think makes them so interesting is the way they play off of local folklore. Um, You think of something like uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow with the idea of this Prussian horseman riding through this very specific community, and um, so many of the great ghost stories play very specifically off of a location.
0: And the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, uh, again in upstate new York, a, a, another a very, very interesting one, and that one seems to ebb and flow with popularity I mean, it was It was popular when I was a kid, and then it seemed to kind of disappear and then I think was it um Johnny Depp or Tim Burton I don't know somebody made a movie um, yeah it was a it
1: was a Tim Burton movie with Johnny Depp as Ichabod crane
0: right, right, and that kind of brought it back to the surface, but that's a great story, it really is.
1: It sure is. And one of the interesting things about that story and sort of segueing into one of my other specialties is that it is one of the huge inspirations behind the the popularity of the jack-o'-lantern at Halloween. And yet, if you read the story, there actually is no mention of Halloween in the story. Um, People think that Halloween figures prominently in the story itself, probably because in the Disney adaptation Mm -hmm. of it, they talk a lot about Halloween. But in the original story, there's actually no mention. of the holiday
0: um that's a that's a really good point uh it's funny how we make assumptions at times and we just kind of uh, because you I would automatically have said it's a Halloween story but it really isn't um by definition
1: right yeah although it has had such an influence on the holiday
0: how far back do these types of stories these ghost stories go Are, are they throughout history
1: oh they sure are um I trace it all the way back to the what is really the first piece of written literature we have which is the epic of Gilgamesh. And there is a part of the whole story of Gilgamesh who is this sort of legendary mythological hero who fights all kinds of creatures and gods and so forth. There's a part where his um best friend Enkidu has to travel into the netherworld and um Enkidu goes down and and manages to uh, Pretty much just throw all of the rules out the window that he's been given, and so he gets trapped in the netherworld. And, and, um, he, there's a little bit of debate among scholars as to the translation as to whether he returns as a ghost or as a living person, but I kind of go with that ghost idea. He comes, uh, Uh, Gilgamesh calls him back using a sort of witch character and it's so great he he comes back up out of the netherworld and and Gilgamesh essentially says tell me what it's like and he says if I tell you what it's like you're going to weep Um, and it's a really sort of moving and sad and scary account of of his best friend coming back as a ghost and from there we can look at something like um, the Odyssey which obviously is a story probably almost everyone knows in some form or other about the story of Odysseus coming back from the Trojan War, and there's a part in that where he gets uh, trapped, kind of, loses his way, has dealt with this um, famous uh, enchantress, and she ends up directing him to go call up these ghosts to get um, advice on how to continue his journey. And, and it it's a really strange scene where he has to sacrifice these black rams and then he has to kneel on the fleece of the black lamb and a uh, black ram and unsheathe this sword and blah 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 and he ends up calling up all of these ghosts. Um, he gets way more than just the one that he needs to talk to including his mother who he hasn't even known before that is dead. So it's a really interesting scene and again we get Ghost stories going all the way back to the very beginning of um, people telling stories.
0: Are there any concentrated periods where a lot of stories seem to have their genesis, and I'm mostly curious curious about uh, the Middle Ages, the you know evil, medieval time, um, because it was during that time that so many of our traditions and so many of our superstitions were developed. Uh, did, is there a particularly high concentration of stories from that time? There
1: are, and it's, it's interesting that during the sort of Middle Ages, um, we get this, this odd clash between what people in general are believing, which is everybody is believing that there are these ghosts and that they can be very frightening and harmful, but then the Catholic Church is coming in and is saying, oh, no, 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 people do not come back. They go to heaven or they go to hell. They do not right. come back. Right. What you are seeing are demons that are tricking you into thinking it's your loved one or um, someone giving you advice. So it was this really interesting period where, like I said, the, the peasants and, and so forth are believing that they are encountering these ghosts, but the Church is saying, no, now you're really not um and we get a lot of odd and interesting stories out of that time for sure um i it's kind of the genesis of the vampire belief comes out of that which of course ends up leading to dracula and um there are some really strange stories about um evil priest being consumed by fire that these ghosts bring and yeah there was there was a lot of weird stuff going on for about a thousand years of history there
0: You mentioned in your list of some of your favorite stories, you mentioned the Bell Witch, um, which came later, obviously, than the Middle Ages. However, there are a lot of references to witches and witchcraft during the Middle Ages. And the accounts of them are very, very scary. Although, in retrospect, we know that it wasn't necessarily what it was purported to be. Um, But are there any particularly good stories related to witchcraft from the Middle Ages that we can talk about?
1: Maybe. Not even so much witchcraft as necromancy, um, because one of the other things that you get during the Middle Ages is the sort of beginnings of occult beliefs and the belief in magicians and and being able to cast spells and so forth. Um, One of the the reasons for that is that you get these people who were taking from all of the classical antiquities, they were combining um, Latin uh, spell books with Hebrew knowledge, with um, things from Islam, and and creating these crazy spell books. And and you get these stories of people like um, Agrippa, or um a little bit later on Cagliostro is one of the most amazing characters that I came up with Cagliostro was a complete fraud but he everyone believed he was a necromancer who could call up spirits and he toured all of Europe and he I mean he was in with the kings and the queens and the lords and everybody believed this guy was real um, but he would periodically get defrauded and would have to uh, vamoose out of that royal court really fast.
0: <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the differences of ghost stories as they cross cultures. Or maybe there aren't differences.
1: Oh, yeah, there are some really interesting differences. Um, for example, one of the ghost legends from around the world that I find most interesting is the Asian Hungry Ghost. Um, and these things are really Really scary. These are the ghosts of people who um, were greedy or were willing to just take things from other people when they were alive. And so they don't move on in the sort of Buddhist reincarnation cycle. They get trapped as these hungry ghosts. And um, these things are depicted as having like these gigantic distended bellies and these long necks, and they can never eat enough. And they will supposedly eat anything. They'll eat like decaying flesh in the grave. And just they're really strange and scary. And um, that was not anything I came across in, like, Western ghost stories, for sure.
0: Uh, One of the things I do know about, uh, just because of my uh, appreciation for horror films, is that the Japanese in particular have a very unique perspective on death. And the spirit world. And it translates pretty well into some really good horror films. Um, But they're a little bit different in their perspective of all this, aren't they?
1: Yeah. With the the Japanese, you get, like, um, the Shinto religion coming in with the idea that everything has has a spirit, not just people or even animals, but um, buildings or rocks or whatever. And that creates definitely some really interesting you get into like the Yokai legends, um, which are again the the idea that there are all kinds of these mischievous spirits that are in all around us at all the time
0: when you started collecting stories and reading through stories and this we maybe this is a bad time to ask this question cuz i'm not sure you can answer it. and if if we need to hold it over uh to the next segment we can as well but uh were there any that popped out to you and as being like just really scary something that really affected you personally
1: um boy affected me personally i there was a there were a couple of stories that I found more sad than frightening, um, stories like in, in The Hungry Ghost Legend, there is a story about a famous monk who has to go down through like the 49 hells to rescue the spirit of his mother from being a hungry ghost. And that was both scary, but like I said, also really sad, um, and it certainly made the monk very heroic.
0: We are talking with Lisa Morton tonight. Her website is lisamorton.com. Lisa, with the number of books that you've got, we've got a minute here before we go to break. Do you recommend that anybody start with one of them over another, or is is any of the books fair game to start with?
1: Depends on what you like. Um, if you're interested in uh, nonfiction ghost, I would definitely go with Ghost: to Haunted History. Um, if you're interested in Halloween, uh, my book Trick or Treat: A History of Halloween is a really um, gives you a narrative history of it. Um, or if you like the classic fictitious ghost stories, um, the Ghost Stories book is really fun.
0: And where are all the books available?
1: You can get these just about anywhere. Um, they're certainly all available through Amazon and most of the other online retailers.
0: And they probably make great holiday gifts too, right?
1: Definitely.
0: Lisa, what is it about ghosts or even ghost stories that we seem to be naturally scared of? And in some, sometimes it's a kind of a good, exciting scare. Um, sometimes it's, a, it's downright frightening to people. Um, but it seems to be an innate fear. Where does that come from?
1: It does, and it, it's funny that you should ask that, because when I started writing my book, Ghost of Haunted History, one of my first questions was, are ghosts universally scary? And, and beyond that, why? Why should they be scary? I mean, if you actually saw a ghost and you knew it was real, wouldn't that be like the most incredible, joyous thing right. that you'd ever seen? Because it would be proof that we exist after death. And um, But they are universally scary, and uh, there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, I mean, obviously, the whole concept of defying nature and so forth. Um, I also do wonder if there isn't some way that we are sort of hardwired to react that way, maybe a, a sort of neurological response somehow, because it is very strange to me that they are universally frightening.
0: And, you know, and, and you you said it very well, um, you know, I, I actually think of a uh, few occasions of my own. I was staying at my mother's home and she passed away a few years ago and I was doing work there and I was staying there. And I thought to myself, boy, I hope mom doesn't show up, but... um I don't know. I mean, it seems like I'd want to see her and yet I don't want her showing up in in a ghostly form I don't think. So, uh it's kind of a mixed feeling.
1: Yeah, it definitely is and I, it might be that it's there is this sort of idea with ghosts that it might be the worst part of us that survives. Um that almost seems to be part of it that you know, you rarely see a ghost who is Picking flowers. I mean, they usually look like they're reenacting their death or um, something. You know, really, really frightening. Um, so, yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question, and I'm still pondering it.
0: So, let's go back to the uh, the question I'd asked before the break. Um, you've heard a lot of ghost stories. You've researched a lot of these stories. Uh, you mentioned some that made you sad, but are there any that really scared you?
1: Um. Boy, I, I don't know if there are any that really, really scared me. There, um, I, the, maybe the what I would have to say is a sort of real experience that kind of scared me a little bit. I was doing a paranormal investigation in the Stanley Hotel in Colorado, which um, is supposed to be very haunted. And, yeah. and people uh, sometimes even call it like the Disneyland of Ghost and ghosts. Um, we were in an outbuilding that used to be a concert hall in uh, next to the main hotel itself, and we were there at like 3 in the morning, and it was um, October, and the wind was howling, and it was very cold, and and the, the building is old and dark and so forth. And we were sitting in this basement that was supposed to be very haunted, and the, the lights were out. And at first, nothing happened, and then um meters started going off and all kinds of weird things were happening. And a friend of mine who was sitting next to me said, something is touching me. And, you know, when you're sitting in a pitch-black room and it's like 3 in the morning and the wind is howling outside, and the guy next to you is going, something is touching me. <laughs>
0: that's,
1: okay, that's a little unnerving.
0: I've actually spent many hours in that basement of that uh, concert hall uh, at the Stanley Hotel. So I'm very, very familiar with what you're talking about. Um, and I've had similar experiences there, too, uh, to what you just described. Um, have you done a lot of paranormal investigating? Not as not as much as I'd
1: like to, actually. Um, I have done a few... Uh, really interesting locations uh, most recently I actually got to do Madame Tussaud's Wax Museum here in Hollywood Oh wow! Um, I work with a uh, podcast called Ghost Magnet with Bridget Marquardt who is from the girls next door and so forth and Bridget has an amazing ability to sense these things and um, so we were in the Wax Museum after it closed and I mean in the first place it's incredibly cool to be in a Wax Museum after it closes.
0: <laughs> a little creepy I think
1: Creepy, but kind of fun, too, because you get to see things without all the tourists around, and it was really, it was very interesting, but yeah, it was obviously a little creepy, Um, and there was, um, interestingly there, the most uh, stuff seems to happen, they have this odd little theater where i think they're currently doing something they call the marvel 4D experience or something so the theater is rigged with like jets that blow air or or moisture or something on you and um that room had a lot of stuff going on in it and bridget walked in and immediately said i feel really heavy here and um so that was that particular room was unnerving the rest of it was not the rest of it was um, except, you know, and then you walk by the figure and, and the guy who works at the museum says, oh, that's the one that watches you as you walk by. <laughs> it's like, oh. okay, now I'm a little
0: freaked out. <laughs> that is a little freaked I don't know what I would think about that. Do you think, I mean, let's assume for a second, let's just take a leap here, uh, that ghosts are the spirits of the deceased. Do you think they'd be hanging around the wax interpretations of their bodies? <laughs>
1: That's probably not
0: the case. <laughs> it's probably not where yeah, they're going to be. Yeah, I
1: agree that if I was dead and hanging out, i I think I could find a better place to hang out than the wax museum. You but. know,
0: and that's the other thing. Uh, you know, pre- people often think that cemeteries, you know, would be a, a haunted uh, mecca, and uh, I think that's kind of the same thing. If you were a ghost, why would you stay there of all places?
1: Yeah, and that's something that we actually, it's funny, we have discussed that, Bridget and I and and the producers of this podcast on some of the um, events and so forth that we've done, and it's like, yeah, why would you hang out where you were buried, you know, surely you would want to go back home or um, to some place that had meant a lot to you. And what's interesting about the hauntings at um, the... Wax Museum is that it's not supposed to be any of the figures who are represented in the museum. It's supposed to be um, an actor who died not far from the museum, and he died, I think, back in like the 70s or something, and there are a lot of reports of people seeing this guy roaming that part of Hollywood. Um, and he was murdered and they never caught his killer so there is some idea that maybe people are seeing him because he's out there trying to find who killed him
0: maybe there could be fans too you know people that really adored some of the people that are represented by those wax figures i mean maybe there we I, go that could that happen is, too. That, i love
1: that theory
0: <laughs> um I want to go back to this idea that as you were uh, collecting these stories and we you know every. Not every, but many localities, local communities have their own twist on uh, a given ghost story. Is there any one ghost story that seems to come up over and over again, just with a different local flair when it comes up?
1: Yeah, I think it's the hitchhiker. Mm -hmm. Um, Virtually every part of the earth that has cars has the ghostly hitchhiker um, story, and in some kind of regional variant that's really interesting. Um, my favorite variant of that, I think, was probably one that came out of Malaysia and Singapore, where this particular ghost is called the Panthianic. Um and the Pontianic is thought to be the spirit of a woman who died in childbirth and now haunts these roadsides um, trying to lure men. And so she's a very attractive female spirit. She's always dressed in white. Um, a man will see her standing out alone at night next to this road, stop to be a good Samaritan, give her a lift, and then um, she turns on him in the car. And there's, she's supposed to be accompanied by the smell of this particular flower, um, which is really interesting. And um, I think there was even a very strange bit to that legend that said that the only way you could stop a Pontionic was to drive a something like a long nail through the base of the skull at the back.
0: Wow. <laughs> that, that's frightening in itself. Um, we have yeah. a couple minutes before we have to jump to break here again. Now, I know you've already talked about a lot of these stories, but do you have a favorite? And maybe you've already mentioned your favorite.
1: Um. Yeah, I the the drummer of Tedworth is really interesting. Um, it's one of the first sort of real ghost stories out of England that was really carefully documented, and it is kind of the classic poltergeist story in a way because it seems to involve someone who may not even have been dead at the time this haunting was going on, and it was a, a big British manor house that was haunted by um all kinds of weird activity including the sound of a beating drum and it was supposedly the drum of a guy who had um been expelled from the local township he had been like a soldier who had drummed for his corps and he had not come to a um, he hadn't ended up well and he was drunk all the time and so forth and they took his drum from him and, and banished him from the town And supposedly he found like a witch to haunt this one manor house in revenge. And it was a really intense haunting with people being hurled and things being broken and huge loud crashes and lots of people who supposedly experienced it. And it's a, yeah, it's, it's, one of the first and still one of the scariest.
0: You're somewhat of a Halloween expert. You've done a lot of uh, research and writing about Halloween. Um, tell us a little bit about what you know about Halloween as we know it. What are the origins in in a nutshell?
1: Well, it uh, goes back many thousands of years to an ancient um, Celtic holiday called Samhain. And Salon was the Celts' New Year's celebration, and they did celebrate this on October 31st. And it was a time when they brought their flocks in from the fields, and they settled debts and paid taxes. But it was also the time when they thought the veil between worlds was at its thinnest, and um, things could cross over that night. They believed in these malevolent fairies called the She, and the um, the She might uh, come over into their world on Samhain night and cause all kinds of havoc. They would burn down um, buildings and take people back into the other world with them. And um, so that's kind of where Halloween gets a lot of its macabre side.
0: And uh, do you have any sense that uh, maybe they were onto to something? I mean, is the veil thinner? I guess that you have to assume there is a veil to begin with, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, sure, there's some kind of veil. Um <laughs> It thinnest at that time. I don't know. That was, I mean, everybody celebrates New Year's at a different time. So maybe our veil is thinnest on the December 31st.
0: <laughs> what is, um, are there good, are there, I'm trying to think other than Sleepy Holly, Hollow, which we determined wasn't a Halloween story. Are there any specific good Halloween stories? Um, I try, I'm blanking on them.
1: Well, there are there are three classic short stories that I think um, really influenced the holiday. Um, Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving, The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe, right. and Young Goodman Brown by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And those kind of give us our three big Halloween icons, which is the jack-o'-lantern, the cat, and the witch. Um, so those are my three sort of classic Halloween stories. And then, of course, um, you can't ignore Ray Bradbury, who was writing the greatest like Halloween fiction ever, as far as I'm concerned, with stuff like The Halloween Tree. And even um, Something Wicked This Way Comes, which, again, is not Halloween-specific, but really captures that late autumn feel and that sense of magic in the air
0: and so forth. Do you have a sense that uh, the Halloween, and I I refuse to call it a holiday, I call it an observance, Um, but do you have a sense that it's becoming more and more popular seemingly every year?
1: It, it seems like it. It's, it's an interesting holiday because it seems to sort of keep morphing. It almost seems to morph around every 40 or 50 years. And we've seen it um, just within the last few decades go from being something that was principally for kids to now something that right. is equally, if not more so, for adults.
0: Yeah, um, that's kind of what I'm seeing, too. It, and it seems that the adult community is really uh, kind of co-opting it from, from the kids in a way.
1: Yeah, definitely, and that kind of started in the 70s, but it has really um, gained a lot of steam since the explosion of the haunted attractions industry, and that kind of started in the late 90s.
0: Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for my name, J.V. Johnson. Very simple. It's uh, The channel's actually called J.V. Johnson's Beyond Paranormal, and this show streams live there. Plus, there's an archive of back episodes, some 450 or so, maybe even more by now, and some bonus content. It's free to subscribe. There's no obligation, nothing. Just click on the subscribe button on YouTube. Again, search for J.V. Johnson. You'll find it. Thanks for doing that in advance. Also, like us on Facebook. Tonight, we're talking with Lisa Morton about ghost stories. She's written several books about ghost stories and the history of ghosts. And um, I just want to finish up something we were talking about Halloween um, prior to the break, Lisa. What do you do for Halloween? Are you Do you go to parties? Uh, do you like to watch horror movies? I know I sit home and watch horror movies. That's the way I like to observe.
1: Um, that's certainly a good option. I do a little yard haunt.
0: Oh, okay. For the neighborhood kids or the adults? Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, we. I moved into my first house about five years ago, and, and we have a nice big front yard, so we we like to uh, go a little nuts with the decorating.
0: Oh, that's fun. That's a lot of fun. Um, let's talk about haunted places. We've kind of covered the gamut. We've talked a lot a lot about uh, some of these stories in a few places, but... What would you say are some of the more haunted or most haunted places in the country?
1: Um, Certainly here on the West Coast, the Queen Mary is Mm -hmm. um, a big one. Um, And I have done a paranormal investigation there. It It is a really strange place to be at three in the morning in the bowels of that gigantic old ship. Um And of course, the Stanley Hotel is certainly one um and there's the um and of course, the name has just gone out of my head the famous Asylum, which is back on the East Coast, that seems to have a lot of activity connected to it, and I know that a lot of people have said it 's the most haunted place that they have been to um, The other one that 's really interesting here in the West Coast is uh the David Omen House which is on Cielo Drive, just uh, like 100 feet from where the Manson um, murders happened. And um, it's, uh, again, supposed to be a very haunted location. It's a really strange and interesting house because it is stuck right onto a hillside. And um, when you're inside this house, you you do get this weird sense of being, like, just stuck right into the hillside, and it's kind of disorienting.
0: Was the asylum you are talking about, Waverly Hills?
1: I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. got
0: a lot, quite a reputation there. Right, and, yes. And we've had uh, David Oman on the program talking about his um his house and the things that have occurred there that he's witnessed, which is pretty interesting discussion in itself. Um you mentioned the Stanley Hotel. I find it uh, curious that the Stanley Hotel for a good, I don't know, maybe 5 or 6, maybe 10 years even, uh was excited about their what I would call haunted history. And it seems in recent years they've kind of moved away from that. Um, have you have you heard or noticed anything like that?
1: I have heard that, and I was really sorry to hear that. I mean, on the one hand, they seem to be sort of trying to capitalize on their um, connection to The Shining. But right. I know they have stopped doing some of the paranormal things that they used to do there. I think they no longer, for example, offer the overnight paranormal investigation.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. And I know that there was an ownership or maybe just – I think it was an ownership and a management change there at some point, which uh, just changed the attitude. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't go there, rent a room, and kind of uh, you know do a little exploring on your own, right?
1: Definitely.
0: And that's a pretty cool place. Uh, and there are a couple outbuildings that make it fun as well. Um, so – When you collect stories, do you uh, kind of, do you put it up on social media and say, hey, do you have a good ghost story? Tell us about it. Um, Or is there something a little more uh, uh, scientific or academic about the way you collect the stories?
1: Um, Certainly that's that's one way to get contemporary things, but I love to find the old stuff and I will go through everything from um 19th century periodicals and books to um there's an amazing website um the it's I forget what it stands for but I know it's www.iapsop.com. It stands for something like International Archive of Spiritualist and Occult Papers or something. This website has thousands of 19th century and early 20th century um, spiritualist papers and magazines. Um, That was a huge resource for me working on this seance book, and um, I went through lots of that stuff just pulling out some of these incredible stories and um, reading about the. And it's interesting, too, because you get a sense of what the people really were thinking about this stuff at the time.
0: Does your seance book or any of the other books uh, look at the um, you know the phenomena of spirit photography at all?
1: Oh yes, <laughs> I got into that pretty much uh, really heavily in this last seance book.
0: I mean that's a pretty interesting story uh, by itself. Um, was it Mumler? Uh, was it William Mumler that was the noted spirit f- spirit photographer that um, ended up being found out as a hoax or a fraud? Yes,
1: indeed. Yeah, it was Mummler and Mumler is really interesting because. Um, He was arrested for fraud, but he was not found guilty, and no one could ever quite explain how he was um, doing these spirit photographs, and during his trial... Um, even P.T. Barnum uh, came in and showed this spirit photograph, and he said, "Well, look, I can fake it too, but it didn't look quite like Mumler's." And um, so Mumler has a really interesting history because he does remain somewhat enigmatic. Um, We do know that he was an expert at a lot of chemical processes, so it's entirely possible that he actually had a sort of secret way of processing photos that nobody else quite knew about.
0: Was it Mumler that took the famous pictures of Mary Todd Lincoln?
1: Indeed, yes. Abe's ghost perched right over her shoulder, right. um, and there are a lot of interesting stories connected to that photo. The sort of legend behind it is that when she came in, Mumler and his wife didn't even know who she was. Um, now I think that's probably a little bit unlikely, but uh, it is an amazing photo.
0: Does the Victorian era have a certain um, I don't know concentration, I guess, of, of ghost stories or this type of uh, activity,
1: Yeah, they did. They had lots and lots. As, as spiritualism was blossoming in, uh, especially in the UK, um, although it was equally huge in America, there were also a lot of writers who were creating ghost stories. And um, it's interesting how many of those writers were women, um, which is something that... Uh, surprises, I think, a lot of people today. They don't quite realize that a lot of the people who were writing these ghost stories were actually women. And um, some of my favorite authors from that time include uh, Charlotte Riddell and um, Elizabeth Gaskell, who wrote a really famous story from 1852 called The Old uh, Old Nurse's Tale. It's still really scary. Um, and uh, Elizabeth Stuart Phelps, yeah, there were some great great writers who were writing these ghost stories, and lots of them.
0: We have to spend a minute because of the season we're in and because it's probably one of the best ghost stories of all time and talk about Charles Dickens and A Christmas Carol. Um, I think as time goes on, and maybe it's just me, but it seems like we appreciate this work more and more.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it is, to me, possibly the single greatest ghost story ever written. Um, and it 's interesting that people 't people just automatically go to the Christmas association and don 't right. even realize maybe that um in the nineteenth century it was a huge tradition to tell ghost stories at Christmas that was actually how they would celebrate. Um, Christmas, and you can look at something like Henry James's *The Turn of the Screw*, which is another one of my favorites. And that actually starts in the novel; it starts with a framing story in which someone is telling someone else this story at Christmas. So even *The Turn of the Screw* is a Christmas ghost story.
0: Obviously there's a famous line in the Christmas song about telling ghost stories at Christmas time, but I don't think, you know, that's a tradition that many of us are familiar with. What is the do we know what the origin of that is? Why ghost stories were popular to be a form of entertainment at Christmas time?
1: Yeah, I I tried to figure that out myself and I couldn't quite come up with where that came from, but um it certainly was immensely popular around um, say from like eighteen sixty to about nineteen twenty or so.
0: Wow. Um Dickens himself, was he did he have any noted spiritual beliefs or was he did he write anything else that might be considered ghost related or uh paranormal related?
1: Yeah, he did. He wrote a really great, very famous um story called The Signalman. Um, which we actually included in my um, uh, anthology, Ghost Stories. And The Signalman is a um, story about a, a guy who is visiting a friend who is a watchman on a particular section of train tracks, and there's a spirit that shows up at this particular area quite often and is somehow related to a gigantic accident that happened in this area. And there's been a lot of speculation about whether Dickens based that on a real train accident or not. Um, Dickens was around a lot of the spiritualist stuff that was going on, and he probably was connected to it, set in on some of the seances and so forth, but he was also extremely skeptical. Um, he published, uh, or rather, edited the magazine at the time, and his magazine did a lot of really sort of scathing um, looks at seances and mediums.
0: We have uh, just a few minutes left with you, um, but I want to bring up Edgar Allan Poe as well. Um, you know, most of... Folks that are uh, appreciative of horror films and this type of discussion uh, reference Edgar Allan Poe as being the master. Where does he fit in all of this?
1: Well, he is certainly one of the greatest horror writers of all time, if not the greatest. Uh, However, he actually wrote almost no ghost stories, um, which is kind of surprising. We wanted, for example, to put Poe into our ghost stories collection, and really um, the only true ghost story he wrote is something called Legea. And it is, even that is obviously a very strange and unusual ghost story. It's not your typical ghost story as you would probably expect from somebody as, as original as Poe.
0: What is your, going back to the Dickens and A Christmas Carol, what is your, if you have one, favorite uh, version of A Christmas Carol?
1: Um, There's so
0: many. There are so many.
1: There are so many. I have a- a special sympathetic attachment to the comedic um, one, Scrooged, that Bill oh, yeah. Murray did, because um, some of my best friends were the makeup artists who were working oh, on that, and wow. they got an Academy Award nomination for it, and I was around the set a lot and so forth watching their amazing makeup. So that one is just a sentimental favorite for me.
0: Oh, that's that makes it very interesting. What about horror movies or ghost movies specifically? Any favorite ghost movie?
1: I think maybe my favorite ghost movie is uh, one from the sixties which is um The Innocence, which is the uh adaptation of turn of the screw and it's an amazing movie to watch nowadays i mean not only are the ghosts really strange and and scary and so forth but there's a scene where deborah kerr who is playing the governess and it kisses this very young boy and it is genuinely freaky and disturbing uh-huh. Um, even 50 years after it was made you kind of look at it and go oh my god that's that was horrible <laughs>
0: Now I'm 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 thinking that you may have already told us what your favorite novel was, but I'll let you tell it again.
1: Uh, I am going to go with the Haunting of Hill House yeah. by Shirley Jackson.
0: What did you think of the Netflix um, version of that particular story?
1: You know, I I loved it as a really cool ghost thing. It it veered a little too far away from the novel for me. Um, I kind of felt like it was the haunting of a. Bunch of people who once lived in Hill House, um, and I wanted it to be more in the house uh, because the novel, of course, is set completely in the house. And they had such a beautiful design for the house in that version. But for me, the best version of that still remains um, the old 1960s one, The Haunting.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that one. That one seems to be uh, maybe more truer to the to the book. Um, certainly I thought it was a scarier film, too. I, I did, wasn't particularly uh, frightened, if, if you will, by the, the Netflix version. I thought it was decent. I didn't think it lived up to the hype personally, but yeah. uh, that was just kind of, my, kind of my own take. So when does the Seance book come out?
1: Uh, We are looking at a fall release for that next year. I actually just handed in the uh, edits on it, so we are still kind of working our way through finishing it at this point.
0: Have you ever uh, been or hosted a seance of your own? Been to one?
1: I have been to some, I mean, even like when I was a kid, you know, and you would go to birthday parties or something, and somebody would pull out the Ouija board. I I would love to sit in on a really good one with a really great medium, and that's something that I actually have not done yet.
0: And there's some places you can go that actually do the full, like, Victorian-era... Spiritualist movement kind of seance routine, and it's a form of entertainment. You know, they they do hold a seance, but um, it's more about the the pomp and circumstance associated with it. And we've had some guests on the show that actually do that for a living, so that might be kind of cool to do as well.
1: Yeah, I know, for example, here in I'm in L.A., uh, we have the Magic Castle, and they do um, a Houdini seance that wow. I'm dying to go to one of these days.
0: That sounds fabulous. Well, we're out of time. Um, fascinating conversation. Really, really interesting, Lisa. Thank you so much for spending the night with us here.
1: Oh, thanks. This was fun.
0: And we'll have you back when the seance book comes out to it i love talking about ghosts ghost stories doesn't really matter what it happens to be about and that was a lot of fun and i'm anxious to learn more about her seance book Orion oh, ryan that sounds like gonna be a good book too yeah for sure yeah so we'll have to get her back on the program when that is released it's going to do it for tonight thanks for being here and we will see you tomorrow night when we talk about christmas legend and for- folklore it's beyond reality radio